we are going to start with a video. That's a commercial. Actually, I've never seen that commercial, but you might have heard of that commercial on the radio. And I want to start with that question tonight. Do you have a problem? I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be really upfront tonight. Tonight's message is a little bit heavier than uh, maybe what we're used to. And uh, I will apologize in advance if um, it's not your cup of tea. Uh, But it's okay, we can talk about that later. Do you have a problem? Do you need help? You know, if I sat down with any single person in this room tonight and I said, and asked these questions, do you have a problem? Do you need help? If we're honest, if we're honest, most of us would say yes. Most of us are self-aware enough to understand that not everything in our life is perfect. Not everything in our life is where we want it to be. Some of us might have anger issues. Some of us might be dealing with depression. Some of us might be dealing with addiction. As I said, I'm not going to sugarcoat this tonight. Some of us might be dealing with physical, spiritual Mental issues. No one is perfect. The thing about problems is this. Everyone has problems. If, you, uh, if, if you're listening to me right now and saying, I don't have a problem, well, your problem is that you're a liar. <laughs> you know that famous line, right? Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Okay, some of you get that. That's all right. I haven't, said, I haven't used that one for a while, hey. <laughs> there are ways to deal with these problems. There are places that can help you to deal with your problems. But there is one situation that can happen where your problems cannot get fixed. And that is when you cannot admit that you have a problem. When you cannot acknowledge that you have a problem and that you need help. When you live in denial, then that problem cannot be fixed. Why? Because the person will never seek help for something that they cannot admit. They don't need to be saved because there's nothing wrong. We're in our winter series in the book of Romans, and today is week two. And Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Jesus followers in Rome. And what Paul wants to lay out through this whole letter is is the foundational message of the Christian faith, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news 
that Jesus saves. But the question today is this. Saved from what? Saved from what? You know, back in the day, uh, ministry and, and preaching happened very differently. Uh, what would be very normal is that there would be a, a street preacher on the corner, you know, of Victoria and Archer, and, and they would stand on a chair, and they, they, they would be yelling out, and, and there's all these famous lines, but Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Believe and be saved because Jesus is the answer. And, and, and what we need to work out is, well, if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? What's the question that the gospel is trying to solve for us? To say that Jesus is the answer. We must understand what the question is for us to truly comprehend and digest the fact that Jesus is the answer. And the question is this. How can, be, how can we be right with God? That's the question. How can we be right with God? And not just God like, you know, big G, big O and big D. Like God, the creator of the universe. God, your creator. Not just some theoretical, theological idea of a God or some being in the, in the heavens. No, no, no. God, your creator. The one that made you. The one that gave, gives you purpose and mission in your life. How can we be made right with Him? And the problem is, until we, can, until we acknowledge in our hearts that we have a deep spiritual problem, then we will never seek a solution. Until we know and have a desire that we need to be saved, then we will never need a savior. Paul in this passage is going to unleash on what our problem is. From God's perspective, we use this word evolution. Right? We use this, we know what evolution is. Evolution is when as time went on, things got better and we got better and we got taller. Not, not that I believe in the theory of evolution. Like I, I am living proof that evolution is not working. <laughs> like, you know, centuries of humanity, I am not the best that it's ever been, okay? But, but because, <laughs> from God's perspective, man's journey since creation was actually de-evolution. We actually went backwards. If you think about the whole journey of man. God created man in his image. God created male and female in his image, in the perfect image of God. And we had perfect relationship with our God. We had perfect fellowship with our creator and we went downhill. Starting from Adam and Eve. Being technical, starting from Eve. Just saying. Just being biblical. Starting from Eve and then Adam. And then it went, and, 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 and it's not that it just got a little bit bad and it just stayed bad. No, no, it actually got a little bit bad, bad 
worse, bad, worse, and actually went down and down and down. The whole story of man is a downward spiral from a place of holiness and godliness, perfect relationship with God, down to a place where Paul will say that humans have become lower than the beasts of the earth. We've become less than the animals. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way to the middle of chapter 3. But in, in, in chapter 1, 18 to 32, Paul outlines four areas of our downward spiral of our sin. So we all think, right, sin is just bad stuff. And, you know, we just, there's one level of sin and that's it. No, no, Paul's going to outline to us that it, it, it was bad and then it got worse. And then it got worse. And then it got worse. The four areas that Paul's going to outline, firstly, is the sin, the, the downward spiral of our intelligence. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In the beginning of mankind, no one ever asked the question, is there a God? Okay, that's not how religion or faith happens. Okay, it's not that, you know, the world was void of any God and some people got together and said, hey, we need an explanation of why rainbows look like rainbows and we can't keep using unicorns because it doesn't seem to work. Humans didn't invent God. And there was a time in our history, a very long time ago, where the existence of God was a no-brainer. It was, it was not even questioned. But our intelligence and what we now know as a humanity has decreased. As time went on, humanity has been continually denying ourselves the truth. And we have been moving further and further away from the truth. And we are now, we've ended up now in a place where your neighbors may truly believe that there is no God. We have people that we know that literally believe that the world that we live in was created randomly. You know, some big bang or... People really believe that. That's the downward spiral of our human intelligence. Our intelligence went down, but it didn't stop there. The next one, the next step of our downward spiral was our ignorance. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were dark. And although they claimed to be wise, they were fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal being, being like birds and animals and reptiles. Not only has our intelligence gone down, but we have become more and more ignorant of God. 
We've moved from the God, the one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we've decided that we're going to share this glory. We're not going to give the glory or the acknowledgement to God, the creator, but you know what? We're going to give it to other things. And as time has gone, we have created new gods. I'll give you one, Mother Nature. Now, I'm not saying that nature is a bad thing, but there are people in our world that worship Mother Nature. We have taken the glory and worship that is only deserved for our Creator, and we have given it to the created things. We have become ignorant. We have decided to ignore what the truth is and decided that anything and anyone can hold the position of God. And not just things around. But that's gotten to the point where we have allowed ourselves to sit on that chair and think to ourselves, we can be God. We have become ignorant. But from there, it went even worse. Step three was our indulgence. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. If anyone can hold the position of God, that means that I can hold the position of God. And if I sit in the position of God, well, I can do whatever I want. And so we did. That's what we did as, as humanity. Not only did we say there is no God, we're going to ignore the true God, I'm going to be God, I'm going to do what I want to do as a God. And so we indulged in the things of this world. Whatever makes me happy. Now, I'm not going to go into it tonight, but Paul uses the example of same-sex relationships. So I know it's a controversial topic in our society, in our city. And people say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't speak about it. No, no, the Bible speaks about it very clearly. Very clearly. And this is now a part of our ignorance to what we believe is the truth. People just started to do whatever they please with whoever they wanted. See, this is started off with just our intelligence and then we, our ignorance and now our indulgence. And the final step that Paul is going to outline is this word called, imp- can't say it, impenitence. Impenitence. Impenitence is a word that means that, that one does not have any regret about one's sins. So to feel penitence, right, which is the opposite to impenitence, is, is to feel bad about what you've done. The opposite to that is to not feel bad at all. All right, verse 29 to 32. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil. Strap yourself in. 
greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invented ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity. Uh, fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul outlines all of these sins, all of these things that just show us how far down we have dropped and the worst at the end of it at the end of it is not only do we do these things not only is humanity not only have we hit a point where we are involved in all of these practices when someone else is doing it we cheer them on and we don't feel bad at all when we are in our own sin we see our friends sin and we're like good job You see this all over social media. You know, social media has brought the world together, but social media has also allowed us to see all the idiots in the world. You know, back in the day, you you know, there used to be only one village idiot. Now through social media, they're all idiots and they all know how to use social media. And if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm like, hmm. If you don't know who the sucker in the room is, you're the sucker. You know what's really, really sad is, it's not just how bad humanity got or how deep in our sinfulness, but that last part, right? When we have no regret about our sin, when we try to justify our sin, when we go, wow, this is bad, but you know, like, oh, you know, I'm in this situation and and we and, and sometimes we just defiant in our sin. Stuff you got. I don't care about you, I don't care what you think, I'm gonna do whatever I want. That's that's how deep we have become in our sin. This is the downward spiral of the sin in our lives. We start by believing those lies. Our intelligence starts to decrease and then we start to ignore what is the truth. And then we start doing whatever we feel like and then we celebrate with others that do the same thing. And we feel no regret at all. Can I tell you right now, the greatest obstacle for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city, in this world, it's not about helping people believe that God loves them or that Jesus uh, was a good person or he was sinless. They're not the obstacles. The greatest obstacle for the gospel of Jesus Christ is to help people acknowledge and accept that they are sinful that they are the ones that need to be saved. That they have a problem, a deep spiritual problem inside of them. So many times I've heard phrases like, yes, I might be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as that person. 
I didn't murder anyone. I didn't cheat on my husband or wife. I didn't steal. No, I, I, I'm good. I work hard. I give to charity. I come to church once in a while, read my Bible. Why do I need to be saved if I'm okay? See, what's interesting is, and you hear this a lot out in the world, because what the world worships is moralism, right? Being moral, being good, which is ironic because you just have to ask them who defines what good is. And they're going to say, well, you know, man. And I'm like, you're defining for yourself what is good. I don't think that that's going to work. As long as we're good, why do we need to be saved? But that's the problem. The problem is to help people understand that they're not good. They're not good. Like, they might be better than other people, but that doesn't mean that they're good or right in the eyes of God. Now, the problem is, if this was just outside... The church, we could all sit here and go, okay, what's our plan? Okay, let's get out there, put a big banner, you're all sinners. And the next one's like, you, you know, believe or, you know, repent and be saved, you know. But what's interesting is, as, as Paul is writing to the, the Christians in Rome, he puts out this point, it's not just the sinners outside the church, but it's also the sinners inside the church. Paul addresses, in chapter 2, he's going to address the Jews, right? And Paul is a Jew himself. And, and what the Jews would have thought was, I, I'm, a, I'm part of the Jewish people. I'm part of the chosen people. I'm an Israelite. And, and he's gone, and the Jews would have been like, yes, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, you have a problem. And what Paul is going to say is, no. Jewish people, you also have the same problem. The Jews were so proud of their heritage. They were so proud of their tradition, of their religious acts and duties. The the marks that set them aside. Circumcision. They were so proud about that. And yet Paul will rebuke them in verse 28. And he says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outwardly or physically. In the Message Bible, it writes this, you became a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not of a knife on your skin that makes you a Jew. And recognition comes from God, not legalistic critics. This would have been offensive to the Jewish people at the time. And you know what, church? This should be offensive to the people inside this room tonight. Because it's not the people only outside that have this deep spiritual problem of sin. But it's every single one of us in this room that has exactly the same problem. This is a wake-up call for all of us who are in the church, who think that by coming to church that we are right with God. 
that by giving some of our finances to support God's ministry, that, that, that that's fine, like we, we've paid for our sins? That we show our face, God ticks our name off the roll call list, and we're fine? It's not. Paul sets it out, and he says very, very plainly, outside, inside, we all have the problem of sin. Chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul is laying it out, black and white. No one, no one, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter... Uh, what church you've been going to, how long you've been going to church, how much of the Bible you've memorized or you haven't memorized, how many times you wake up during the night to pray or to go to the toilet or pee or whatever you do in the, you know, in the middle of the night. No one, no one, no one is righteous. Everyone needs to be saved whether they know it or not. You have a problem. And don't worry. When the Bible says no one, that includes me too. I have a problem. I have many problems. But that's a whole different bunch of sermon series. We have a problem. And the problem is that the broken relationship that we have with God is not because God walked away. It's because of the sin in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're inside or outside the church. It doesn't matter what kind of life you have lived. Because of your nature as a human being and because of your actions, thoughts, motivations, you are a sinner. You have created offense against the Creator God. We all have this problem. And you know what? If you're first time here tonight, welcome to church. We love you very much. <laughs> we'll give you a big, you know, we've got snacks tonight. That's great. You know, we'll all feel good about ourselves after. I want to sugarcoat this for you tonight. But you know what? The message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel does not allow me to sugarcoat this. That list of sin, that's not other people, my friends. That's you and that's me. We, we, we have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. We have invented ways of doing evil. We have, a dis have disobeyed our parents, including the children downstairs in the garden. They are as sinful as everyone else here because they disobey their parents all the time. 
We are the ones that have no understanding. We have no fidelity. We have no love. We have no mercy. And as much as you might be thinking to yourself, man, man, I wish my friend was here to hear this message. Woo! They need to hear this because they've got a problem. My friend, this is for you. Before we start pointing the finger at other people, my friends, we need to understand that. You have a problem. You have a problem. Let's pray. (laughs) You know, I'm kidding. People are like, oh, okay, well, that's it. Okay, that's an awkward way to finish the sermon. And you know what? That is kind of where we finish. (laughs) But here's the thing. And, and I really believe that this is why Paul is laying this out in such a heavy and hearty way. is because of this. The deeper your understanding of your problem of sin, the deeper the understanding of how much you are in trouble before God, how far you are from God, the more desperate and low that you become before God is the only way that you will start to understand the depth and the nature of the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. If you don't understand sin, If you don't understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, if you don't understand how bad that sin was, then you're not going to understand how good Jesus is. But only when we understand how deep our sin is, how how wretched we are, how evil and wicked we have become, only when we know how much we need a Savior, when that Savior turns up, will we able to understand and comprehend and hold on to that Savior. If you don't really think much of your sin, then honestly, you're not going to think much of your Savior either. If you don't think that you've got a problem when the solution turns up, you're not even going to blink. And I think that's why Paul is laying out so much in depth about our problem, our problem of sin. And as I said, if, if you're feeling down and out, I'll give you a hug after, okay? The rest of Romans is all just a really big hug with some smacks in the middle, but hugs as well. That's just what Paul, Paul's just like that. If you, if you go to heaven and meet Paul, he's just like that. He's one of those awkward uncles where you don't know if you're meant to hug him or you're meant to stand there still silently. You know, Paul's just, you know, special guy. He said, tonight is not for me to tell you and make you feel bad about who you are as a person. Tonight is as you stand before Creator God and understand the sinfulness of your heart is for you to understand where you stand with God and how bad your problem is. I remember the first time, not I went to church. first time I went to church was in my mother's belly. Praise be to God for them, my parents. I grew up in the church. Grew up in a Korean church. Do you know what happens when you grow up in a Korean church? God becomes Korean. 
<laughs> you think that's funny, right? I literally thought Adam and Eve were Korean. <laughs> and I grew, up, I grew up just like our children downstairs with teachers that loved me and, and taught me the Bible. And I was one of those kids that teachers didn't really like because sometimes I knew more than the teachers. You know, and I grew, and I grew, and, but, but, but it wasn't that that changed my life. I still remember so distinctly. I hit year seven, and back then, and I know this is hard to believe, but you've got to use your imagination, but I was really skinny back then. Like really skinny, not like just skinny, but really skinny. Like people thought I was sick kind of skinny. I know it's hard to believe, hey, but Jesus can do mighty things. <laughs> I remember as a 12-year-old kid who'd grown up in the church who knew the Bible pretty well. I wasn't even a bad kid. I was actually pretty good. You know, I was, I was the one helping the teachers put out the chairs. You know, I was the one that put out the rubbish. You know, I was the one that, you know, you know, did my chores around the house. I, I was a good kid. You know, I, I wasn't a bad kid. You know, 12, I wasn't outside smoking, drinking. You know, I wasn't meeting girls. I wasn't even interested in girls. I was more interested in, like, soccer. You know, something's wrong, right? You know, I, I wasn't a bad kid. But there was this moment, and I went to camp, and I went to year seven camp, and it was the first high school camp that I went to. And what was different about this camp than every other camp that I'd been, I'd been camp every, twice a year, was this camp speaker, right? And I want to show you a photo because it's an amazing coincidence. Uh, this is Pastor Jay Kim, right? This is Pastor Jay Kim. He came and spoke at my year seven retreat. I actually, and, and actually, till this day, I've always wanted to, I've been like, well, you know, the internet brings people together. I want to find this guy. And I found him online. I found him what church he attends. I, I found, I, I still, yeah, mate. You got to be proactive in this kind of stuff, right? And, and actually, I wrote him an email two years ago. No reply. All right? Funny funny story, nothing to do with my sermon now. A month ago, I get invited to a pastor's lunch and I never go to these things because it's usually a whole bunch of pastors that are telling me why their church is amazing and why we need to follow their church. And I'm like, I'm so sick of people telling me because I think our church is not the best, but we're getting there. We're okay. We're okay. Anyway, I rocked up because a close friend of mine said, you, you need to come, you need to meet this pastor. So I came and I met this pastor who's this pastor's boss. I was like, you're, you're the senior pastor of Church of uh, Southland in LA, right? He goes, yeah. And I say, you're, on your staff is a pastor, JQ. And he goes, yeah, he's one of my friends. I said, can you, can you tell him I wrote him an email two years ago? <laughs> Dead set. I, this is what I said. Can you ask him to reply to my email, please? I kid you not, this week, while I'm preparing this message, he replied. And he gave me this, like, really generic kind of like, hey, thank you for your, you know, thank you for trying to reach out to me, and this is what I do now. And I was like, he doesn't know who I am. So I replied, I said, thank you for reaching out, and I sent him a photo of my parents, because he would know my parents, right? Our son is ill.
And so I sent him a photo of my parents and he wrote back to me, oh, I remember them. And I go, oh, that's good. <laughs> so this guy's preaching. He's a, he was a missionary in Africa. And the thing that made him different to every other camp speaker that I had, he spoke in English. Dead set. I'm not, I kid you not. It was the first time I heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus in my language. And I remember that last night. And he, these were his words. You are a sinner. For 12 years, I'd grown up hearing all about this. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. And at that moment, that one moment in my life, year seven, it was July, winter camp, 1995, long time ago. You are a sinner. You need to be saved. Now I remember, you know, I was a year seven kid. I was a year seven. So I remember that moment. I remember I just got on my knees. I didn't even know why I was getting on my knees. Everyone else was getting on their knees. Everyone else worked this whole thing out way before I did. So I'm on my knees and I'm like, Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. And I, he said, you need to confess your sin. You need to tell God your sin and you need to tell him that you're sorry. You know, all those sins that, that I mentioned, I, I didn't even know how to spell those words. You know what I was confessing? Jesus, I'm sorry for not obeying my parents. I'm sorry for not cleaning my room. I'm sorry for kicking the dog. I'm sorry for fighting with my sister. I'm sorry. These are the sins of an innocent year seven boy. But it was only, it was only at the deepest point of when I realized that I was a sinner that I realized that I need a savior. And can I tell you, that was 1995, that was a long time ago. As years went on, do you know all that happened was as I learned more about God, as I learned more about the Bible, as I learned more about my life, my sins got more complicated. They got bigger. But it's the same idea. You are a sinner. As I was preparing for this message, I sat and, and I sat before the Lord and I was like, God, I wish, I wish my confession to you could be, God, I'm so sorry for disobeying my parents, kicking the dog, you know, not listening to my, you know, not, not playing with my friends well. I wish my life was like that. But sadly, as you and I both know, as we grow older, our capacity to sin just becomes better. But the problem is, we become better at hiding it as well. We become better at hiding it. And we become better at justifying it. I sin because... Da, 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 da. You know, that moment in you said, Jesus wasn't just a name that I sang at church on Sundays. Jesus became the most important thing in my life because he was the solution to the greatest problem in my life. And that's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. 
That's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. We don't come here and sing songs about some theological, theoretical, ideal concept of Jesus. No, your problem of sin, Jesus is the solution. That's why we worship him. That's why we connect with him, because he saved us. It can't be good news if it doesn't change your life. And this is where I want to land. You know, for, for most of you guys, right, for most of us, like, you know, peace in, this, in, the, in the Korea Peninsula, and I'm like this too, peace in the Korean Peninsula is a good thing, but it doesn't change my life. If North Korea and South Korea get together and become, you know, Korea, it doesn't change my life. That's good news, but that doesn't change my life. But for so many of us, Jesus is like that for us. Oh, great, Jesus died on the cross. Great, he died for the sins of the world. That's great, but it's got nothing to do with me. But that's the problem. Because in reality, it's got everything to do with you. Jesus dying on the cross can't be a good thing for everyone else. No, Jesus dying on the cross has to be the greatest thing for you. That's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. It said, if I've offended tonight, I apologize. But if you really think about it, you're the sinner, not me. So it's actually your fault. Let's pray. <laughs>